The First Amendment of the Constitution reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, said, Without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom, and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. Frederick Douglass, who was a prominent leader in the abolitionist movement, which helped gain public support to end slavery, said, To suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the right of the hearer as well as those of the speaker. The First Amendment and freedom of speech is the foundation of a thriving democracy. But what are your rights? And what are the limitations on free speech? Let's discuss on this episode of Lockdown Law. To understand the importance of the First Amendment, we need to understand history. England, under King Henry VIII, in 1538, issued a law requiring anyone who wanted to print something to get a license first. This was required of everything, from books, to pamphlets, to even Bibles. The system was run by printing monopolies and bureaucrats, which led to arbitrary decisions, favoritism, and prevention of publications that were unpopular. Later in England, there was the law of seditious libel. Now, what is seditious libel? Well, seditious libel made it a crime to publish anything disrespectful of the state or church and any of their officers. Hence the reason why many people cross the ocean to come to America, often under dangerous circumstances, just for the freedom to practice their religion. There is no doubt these laws in England greatly offended some of our founding fathers, hence the First Amendment. So the First Amendment free speech absolutely tries to prohibit prior restraint of free speech and allow people to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Flash forward to today, over 200 years later, after the Constitution was written, and this short, old document still is so relevant to what is happening today. It really is a brilliant document. It outlines the checks and balances for the government and provides individual rights to the people.
The First Amendment was first in line probably because of its importance. Our founding fathers knew that free speech is crucial to democracy. Free speech promotes the marketplace of ideas. Speeches start movements. Speeches change minds and energize people. Here are three important speeches in American history. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Every man is a Berliner forced to look upon a scar. President von Weizsäcker has said the German question is open as long as the Brandenburg Gate is closed. But today, today I say as long as this gate is closed, as long as this scar of a wall is permitted to stand, it is not the German question alone that remains open, but the question of freedom for all mankind. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Yeah! 
Wow. That speech by Martin Luther King, it's one of the greatest speeches of all time. Still, still gives me goosebumps hearing it. And that speech sparked a civil rights movement, which strived to provide equal protection under the law to everyone. JFK, his speech, gotta love that accent. John F. Kennedy, that speech helped gather public support for the United States to gather the resources and the will to travel into space and land on the moon. And finally, that last speech by Ronald Reagan, which helped bring an end to the Soviet Union and the Cold War, just with the speech. Amazing. The Supreme Court has long considered political and ideological speech to be the foundation of the First Amendment. One of my favorite quotes is another quote from Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. And uh, this quote was actually in the dissent of the case of United States versus Schwimmer. And this was decided in 1929. Holmes wrote that if there's any principle of the Constitution that more imperatively calls for attachment than any other, it is the principle of free thought. Not free thought for those who agree with us, but freedom for the thought that we hate. I'm going to say that again. Not free thought for those who agree with us, but freedom for the thought that we hate. In that case, it involved a pacifist who applied for naturalization. She was from Hungary. She said she would not be willing to take up arms personally in defense of the United States because she was a pacifist. The Supreme Court ruled against her and thus denied her the possibility of becoming a United States citizen. Now, again, Holmes's quote, that was out of the dissent. He stood up for her. Um, and that case was eventually overturned in the 1940s. There's also the freedom not to speak. In the case of West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett, which was decided in 1943, the Supreme Court held that you cannot be compelled to salute the flag. In the case of Tinker versus Des Moines School District, and this was decided in 1969, the court expanded free speech rights to students. The court ruled that students do not lose their free speech rights at the schoolhouse gate. And it also protected symbolic speech. In that case, some teenage students were sent home and suspended for wearing a black armband during the Vietnam War. And they did that to protest the Vietnam War. The court held that this was speech protected by the First Amendment. In the case of Texas versus Johnson, and this was decided in 1989, the Supreme Court held that flag burning 
was a form of speech protected by the First Amendment. But what are the legal limitations on free speech? Well, actually, there are many. Another quote from Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. He famously said, in the case of Schenck versus United States, which was decided in 1919, that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And actually, the First Amendment was trampled on very, very early on in our country's history. John Adams was the second president of the United States. And this is so fascinating to me in doing research for this episode. This was crazy to me. In 1798, just seven years after the First Amendment was added to our Constitution, Congress passed a law that punished disrespectful comment on the president, and editors were targeted for mocking President John Adams. Now, this was short-lived, but it's still troubling that this happened so early on after the passage of the First Amendment. One thing that I found interesting in the research was that Thomas Jefferson, the third president, during the election between him and Adams, he basically called John Adams a hermaphrodite. Let's pull up the quote. He says, Adams is a hermaphrodite, which has neither the force or firmness of a man and not the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. I thought that was interesting because, you know, you hear so much today that politics is so divisive and it's never been this bad before. Well, actually, you know, people were dueling and, you know, even Thomas Jefferson was calling people hermaphrodites. So it was bad back then too. Now, Let's get back to other areas of speech that are limited. Speech in the workplace can be limited, and so can commercial speech. Then there are areas of unprotected speech. That could be defamation, fraud, incitement, fighting words, true threats, speech integral to criminal conduct, and obscenity-related areas. Okay, before we get into unprotected speech, I want to let everyone know that the saga between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams um, ended well after that presidential election where things got heated and Jefferson basically called Adams a hermaphrodite, <laughs> um, they actually became friends later on in life. And this is crazy to me. They both died on the same day. And guess what that day was? July 4th, 1826. Another interesting thing about Jefferson and Adams is that neither of them got to sign the Constitution. Here you know, are two great founding fathers, and neither of them signed. And that's because they were um, serving as our ambassadors, um, Jefferson to France and Adams to Great Britain. 
Okay, let's get into unprotected speech. And I want to thank the Congressional Research Service. This is where I got this information, um, most of it. And it, it has a very succinct overview of unprotected speech, which is important for people to understand. Okay, so in general, content-based restrictions on speech laws that apply to a particular speech because of the topic discussed or the idea or message expressed are presumed to be unconstitutional and subject to strict scrutiny. However, the Supreme Court has recognized limited categories of speech that the government may regulate because of their content, as long as it does so even-handedly. The court generally identifies these categories as obscenity, defamation, fraud, incitement, fighting words, true threats, speech integral to criminal conduct, and other obscenity-related areas. What is obscenity? Well, at one point, there was a justice, his name was Justice Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart, and he said in a 1964 Supreme Court decision, he said, what is obscenity? Well, I know it when I see it. Okay, well, that doesn't really help. So uh, it evolved over time. So obscenity, in order for material to be obscene and thus unprotected under the First Amendment, it must, on the whole, appeal to the purient interest in sex as judged by contemporary community standards, depict or describe sexual conduct as specifically defined by state law in a patently offensive way, and lack serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. What is defamation? Although the Supreme Court has held that defamatory statements, which are false statements of fact about a person, are not protected speech, the court has also recognized that the prospect of civil or criminal penalties for making such statements might hamper free speech. Under certain circumstances, the First Amendment requires a party alleging defamation to demonstrate that the speaker acted with a certain level of intent. So an example is in cases where the statement concerns a public official or figure. Okay, so this is kind of a complicated area of the law, defamation, but basically, in general, it is harder for a public figure to win a lawsuit than it is for a private person. Incitement. The Supreme Court held that the First Amendment protects advocating the use of force or lawbreaking, except where such advocacy is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. Then there's fighting words. In 1942, the Supreme Court held that the First Amendment does not protect fighting words, 
those likely to provoke the average person to retaliation and thereby cause a breach of peace. However, the court has since stated that speech cannot be restricted simply because it is upsetting or arouses contempt. True Threats The First Amendment does not bar the government from prohibiting some forms of intimidation, such as true threats. Now, true threats are distinguished from political hyperbole, and that occurs when the speaker means to communicate a serious expression of an intent to commit an act of unlawful violence to a particular individual or group of individuals. Another area of unprotected speech is speech integral to criminal conduct. And in general, the First Amendment affords no protection to speech used as an integral part of conduct in violation of a valid criminal statute. Uh, one of the other last areas of unprotected speech um, is other obscenity-related areas that I'm going to skip over. Now, another interesting case that demonstrates the limits on free speech is the Garcetti versus Caballos case. And, oh, this was an interesting one. This one really bothers me. This limits your, your rights in the workplace. So listen to this one. This one was decided in 2006, and the court ruled against a district attorney and sided with the government. So this guy, Sabalos, was a district attorney who claimed that he had been passed up for a promotion for criticizing the legitimacy of a warrant. The court ruled in a five to four decision that because his statements were made pursuant to his position as a public employee rather than a private citizen, his speech had no First Amendment protection. The facts of this case are really interesting to me um, because what happened was a criminal defense attorney contacted Sabalos, who again was a, a district attorney on the other side, on one of his cases because the criminal defense attorney wanted to challenge the sheriff's search warrant because he alleged some inaccuracies in the supporting affidavit. So Sabalos, he conducted his own investigation and determined that the affidavit did contain some serious misrepresentations. So he contacted the deputy sheriff who had sworn out the affidavit, and he didn't really buy his explanations. So then he communicated these findings to his supervisor, and he wrote a memo, and which he, re he actually recommended dismissing the case. Well, despite his concerns, they actually proceeded with the prosecution. So then Sabalos claimed that he was subsequently um, subjected to a series of retaliatory employment actions. These included reassignment to a different position, transfer to another courthouse, and a denial of a promotion. He initiated uh, a grievance, but it was denied based on a finding that he really didn't suffer any retaliation. And again, when it went to the Supreme Court, 
the Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 to four decision that because his statements were made pursuant to his position as a public employee rather than as a private citizen, his speech had no First Amendment protection. Well, what really bothers me about this case is it seems to me that his speech was a matter of public concern. If, and I understand this is an if, but if the sheriff was in fact misrepresenting the facts in the affidavit, which was the basis for a faulty search warrant, don't we want people to speak out? I don't know. Troubling case, which basically leads to the conclusion that your free speech rights in the workplace can be limited. I also talked about um, commercial speech, that being limited, and that's pretty easy to understand, I think. Um, I mean, remember when you used to see all those cigarette ads on TV? Well, not so much anymore. Um, basically, pure commercial speech uh, can be regulated. Another area of speech that is um, limited, <clears throat> this is an interesting case, United States versus O'Brien, and this was decided in 1968. And it said uh, it upheld the prohibition against burning a draft card. And the court said that that did not violate the First Amendment's free speech guarantee. So basically, you can't burn your draft card. Other limits on free speech are called time, place, and manner restrictions. And those are content neutral. That's important. They must be content neutral limitations imposed by the government. Those come in many forms, such as uh, imposing limits on the noise level of speech, capping the number of protesters who may occupy a given forum, barring early morning or late evening demonstrations, and restricting the size or placement of signs on government property. These regulations are licensing laws that require, um, or I should say other regulations or licensing laws that require parade or demonstration permits are also frequently upheld. So these are called time, place, and manner restrictions, and they're generally upheld as long as they're content neutral. So you can see that free speech rights are limited, but in general, it really is a great protection that we receive in this country. Um, you know, many other countries don't provide these types of protections. Free speech is important. The best way to combat bad speech is not to shut it down, but by good speech. Got to change the hearts and minds. And that's kind of what I want people to think about. Um, you know, for me, one of the best things about becoming a lawyer is that I really think it, it makes you a more tolerant person um, because you're, you're trained to study your opponent's argument. You know, you must listen and show respect even if you disagree. And I wish I saw more of that um, in our country today. You know, I think we need to talk kinder to one another during these tough times. I mean, we're all in this together, right?
And I want people to remember the quote by Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, the principle of free thought, not free thought for those who agree with us, but freedom for the thought that we hate. Okay. Um, I want to take this last segment to explain some of the history behind the quotes. So the first quote was from Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin is one of our founding fathers. And he's the one that said, without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. Um, so just a little bit of background on Franklin is that he was originally known for this publication and it was called Poor Richard's Almanac. And this was a pamphlet that covered really everything from the weather forecast to current events. And it sold yearly from 1732 to 1758. And it did very well. Um, it sold many copies and was a big hit in British-controlled America at the time. Remember, the Declaration of Independence was in 1776. So Franklin was publishing this pamphlet from 1732 to 1758. And he is such an important American figure, he was pivotal in gaining support for the Declaration of Independence. And he was actually the oldest person to sign the Constitution. He was 81 years old when he signed the Constitution. He was never president, probably because of his age, but he had such a huge impact on the creation of this country. And that's why he's on the $100 bill. He's also got some great quotes. Okay, the first one, a penny saved is a penny earned. Love your enemies, for they'll tell you your faults. He that falls in love with himself will have no rivals. There was never a good war or a bad peace. He that lies down with dogs shall rise up with fleas. Either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. The last one is my personal favorite. Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. The second quote at the beginning of this episode was from Frederick Douglass. And he said, to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the rights of the hearer as well as those of the speaker. Douglas had another great quote. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Frederick Douglass was an escaped slave who became a prominent activist, author, and public speaker. He became a leader in the abolitionist movement, which sought to end the practice of slavery before and during the Civil War. One of my favorite stories about Frederick Douglass was that he actually went to the White House, and this was on a hot day in August of 1863, without an appointment. He was a man on a mission. And this was a time when the country was torn by civil war. 
Douglas wanted an immediate meeting with President Abraham Lincoln. He wasn't sure he would get in. There was a long line in front of the White House of people waiting to see Lincoln. And some of them looked like they had been waiting for days. They were mostly white men. And Douglas later said, I expected to have to wait at least half a day. Douglas sent his card up the line, and it took only two minutes for a White House messenger to come out of the White House and summon in Mr. Douglas. He got a meeting with President Lincoln. Can you imagine those times when you could just go down to the White House and request a meeting with the president? Better have something important to say. Douglas and Lincoln later became friends, and Douglas was actually invited to Lincoln's second inaugural address. All right, well, I hope you learned some history in this episode and some information about free speech rights. Check out my website, www.lockdownlaws.com. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Lockdown Law. The information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Information in this podcast may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners of this podcast should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No reader or listener to this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Use of and access to this podcast or any of the resources contained within the podcast do not create an attorney-client relationship. The views expressed at or through this podcast are those of the individual author writing in their individual capacities only, not those of their respective employers. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. The content on this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free.